0: You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church podcast. Hang around after the sermon for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the message. We've been talking about people that come into contact with Christ, and then they walk away changed. Right? Last couple of weeks sounds familiar. Um, this isn't a shock to everybody. Okay. Good. All right. I am on the right sermon series. All right. No. That's that's the best joke I have today. You've been warned. You've been warned. Uh, I know. I know. I know these jokes are going to be about as good as a degree from BSU. Yikes. Oh, uh, anyway, so do we, we're, yeah, just be serious here. Come on, Logan, get it together. Uh, anyway, so we're talking about people that have come into contact with Christ and then they come away changed because they interact. They, they, when you meet Jesus as Lord and savior, you walk away changed. Thus the, the graphic, right? That's the name of the series. Um, but it's a little bit more than just an individual change. Think back on these stories. There's been, yes, the individual person, but there's also the community around them that's impacted, right? Think about the the woman with the, the flow last week that, that Rob was talking about, right? Everybody else that had known her for the last 12 years, and suddenly she's no longer unclean. That impacts her community. So there's these little ripple effects that move out. And there's, there's usually one or two people in these stories, even if it's, there's a main character, there's a secondary character that interacts with Jesus, right? We're going to see that today also. Today we're looking at the story of Saul, which most of you probably know that one pretty well. You could probably tell me that story pretty well. Um, I think this week in Care Group, we probably should just tell the story, not even just read it. We'll just tell the story and see how we do. Um, Because we probably know this one pretty well, but we're going to read it this morning. So let's just, let's read it and we'll get it out of the way. just right off the top. So out of Acts 9, uh, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice, a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, it probably was a little bit more of an imposing voice than mine. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't even know. Like, imagine the scariest, like, most imposing, like, dad voice. <gasps> right? That's the voice. And Saul says, who are you, Lord? The reply was, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Which is probably a little weird, right? They didn't see the blinding light. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind. Now, if we had footnotes, then we would probably talk about whether or not there's something cool involved with three days. I don't know. There might be. I just thought of that this morning when I was going over it. And he didn't eat or drink anything, which seems like a rational response to me personally. I would probably, when I get stressed, I forget to eat. So I feel like if I lost my sight suddenly, I probably would forget to eat. That would happen. Seems rational. Okay. Now in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Enter our second person. The Lord called him in a vision. He said, Ananias. Ananias said, yes, Lord. Uh, The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, which is a great name for a street. Every time I read this, I think that's a great name for a street. I really hope it was curvy. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fantastic? It probably wasn't. But uh, the irony would be good. And he asked for a, man, for a uh, man from Tarsus named Saul. So go to this, pla- this place, this house of Judas, and ask for Saul. For he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come. Which, it's funny that... Okay. God says to Ananias, he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias is going to come. As opposed to just saying like he's seen in a vision that you're going to go. So maybe there's maybe there's a secondary, like there's an understudy Ananias in the wings, maybe? That's possible might be the one that got struck down because there was that Ananias and Sapphira earlier on in in Acts, right? I I don't know. Maybe maybe this is just a lot of Ananias and Jesus is like, you know, one of you is going to go. I'm giving you first dips. Maybe that's what's going on. I don't don't know. I just thought that was funny. But anyway, so this man named Ananias is going to come and he's going to place hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Now that probably is like, um, are you sure about that, God? I'll give you a minute. You can, you can double check your arithmetic. You sure you want me to go do this? This sounds like a terrible idea, God. <clears throat> But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Hmm. We skip, I might have skipped a bit there. Uh, let's hear stuff from my, Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. All right, no longer stressed, he remembered to eat. That's, that's, how, I, that's how I see this one. So we're probably, we're pretty familiar with this story, right? This is not the first time you've heard this, most likely. There, there's the common, you, you have a Damascus Road experience, in fact. That's a common trope in the church, right? Like, oh yeah, you had your, your salt to Paul moment, maybe, right? So I think sometimes when we read this story, we forget we, or or we overlook maybe some of the things that are going on here. The first one that I want to point out is that Saul has to swallow his pride to regain his sight. Now, for we all know, like he turns into Paul and he's this big deal. Like he's kind of a big thing, right? Ron Burgundy, I'm kind of a big deal. Um, that's Paul, but like Saul before this transformation Saul he's kind of a big deal too this is not this is a this is a pivot that he has to make this is like a huge flip flop and we know that immediately he he does this he makes this 180 turn and he starts preaching like He stays in Damascus for a couple of days and he starts preaching and teaching, doing the opposite of what he went there to do. And everyone's like, wait, I thought you were coming here to kill it. And now you're saying this is the ultimate flip-flop. This is like going from Biden to Trump overnight, right? Like this is, or vice versa, right? This is, this is a huge flip-flop. This is going from being a Cougs fan to a Husky fan overnight. This is just not okay, right? Or going from a Husky fan to a Coug overnight. That's better. There we go. All right. I was going to make half of the people mad one way or another. (sighs) But Saul has to swallow his pride. See, he could have just carried on. Think about this. He could have carried on as a martyr for his cause. Said, oh, those evil Christians. I've, you know, I'm doing the Lord's work. I went there to do the Lord's work and I was afflicted by the evilness of the Christians and they caused me to be blind. He could have spun this become a martyr for the cause. Everybody on on his side of things, the chief priests, all the the -the anti-the-way people, they would have been stoked on that, probably. Paul would have been blind, but his pride would have been intact. Now, I don't know if you're the type of person where pride's a big deal, but I can speak from experience, pride's a big deal for some of us. And so to sit there and say, the words, I was wrong... Oh, those are tough to say sometimes. I don't like saying, I'll spin things. I'll work my way around so I can say that without saying it so many times. Like admitting defeat? Absolutely not. I have a sneaking suspicion Paul was probably in the same boat. Do you ever find yourself playing the victim when things get difficult? Because that's, e- that's easy to do. That's an easy place to fall into. Do you find yourself playing the victim? Maybe even if it's God directing you, that might be the case. As I was reading this this week, I'm, I'm, I was wrestling with that. I was like, yeah, No, the pride, playing the victim. Oh man, why am I preaching this? I don't want to preach. Why Lord, why? <laughs> this is terrible. I've experienced all of this. I don't know about you guys, but I have. Do you find yourself playing the victim when things get hard? So for Paul, Saul to swallow his pride and pivot and say, nope, I was wrong, and go the opposite direction, that's no small thing. And granted, he kind of got hit with a spiritual two-by-four to the face, you know, it was kind of a big deal. Like you don't—it's a big deal to lose your sight and be struck blind on this road and hear the voice of God. I, like if that occurred to me, I would hope that I would probably change my ways. Would I immediately start preaching the opposite? Maybe not. Uh, I don't know. Let's talk about Paul and his credentials, though, because he was a big deal, and this is—I I really want to impress that this is a huge change. There's power in interacting with Jesus and seeing Jesus as Lord. There's power to turn even the Sauls of this world. Saul brags about himself in Philippians. Uh, He's he's talking talking in this passage about uh, having confidence in in your works, like as a Jew. Um, And he says in verse 4, he says, "...though I myself have reasons for such confidence." if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh of being good, of being holy, I have more. Like, like, I have more. Look at me, right? This is where I think he's maybe a little proud. He might be a little bit of a prideful person. I have a sneaking suspicion. <clears throat> and he lists, I says, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm the man of the man. Like, I'm the best of the best. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, the most stringent. I adhere to this so tightly. As for zeal, persecuting the church... Willing to go into the trenches to kill people for what he believed. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. <laughs> like, look at me go. Beard stroke, right? Hmm, I'm the best. That, that's Paul. And that's later. Like, and he goes on to say, and right after this, he's like, and all of that account for nothing. This is a bunch of crap. Like, this is worth Nothing. It's all about Christ. Like all of this is true, but it's worth nothing. It's worthless. But this is Paul. That's, that's his credentials, if you will. This is a huge turn for him. He has to swallow so much pride to admit that he was wrong, to submit to Jesus. <clears throat> In Acts 22... He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of uh, Cilicia. I always want to say Cecilia for whatever reason when I read that, like it just looks close enough, Uh, but brought up in this city, meaning Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as many as any of you are for today. So he studied under Gamaliel, and if you remember, earlier in Acts, Gamaliel, Gamaliel gets this, main, this mention. You're thinking, who's Gamaliel? I studied under this. Gamaliel's a big deal. In Acts 5, um, there's this Peter, they, they bring Peter before the Sanhedrin because of what he's preaching, and they don't like it, and then Gamaliel has this moment. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, honored by all the people, Stood up in the Sanhedrin, the leading ruling faction, and he ordered that the men might be put outside for a little while, meaning Peter and those guys. And then they kind of have their little impromptu. And he drops some wisdom. You should go read that story. It's fantastic. Gamliel shows a little bit of wisdom here. Gamliel is the grandson of Hillel. If you remember, I think, Rob, you talked about it last week, Shammai and Hillel, uh, Maybe one of these weeks, the week before, week before that, uh, Shammai and Hillel. We've talked about this before, these two big schools of thought, right? Shammai and Hillel. Hillel is one of these big names. It's like saying, I studied under uh, Carl Sagan, right? Gamliel's his grandson. There's lineage and prestige there. And Paul studied right under him, which is a big deal. See, Saul has to swallow a lot of pride in this change and it's a huge flip-flop. But Saul isn't the only one who interacts with Jesus in this, right? We have Ananias. And he has to go through a change that's maybe just as much because Ananias has to go through this change of viewing Paul as no longer an enemy. This guy who is who got papers and was coming to your city to go on a witch hunt, if you will. He's gonna, he's gonna search out the women and the men and he's gonna take them back and they're probably gonna be put to death. This man who is with murderous threats, right? To see that guy as no longer an enemy a huge change. There's a lot of change in this story. There's a lot of going from this perspective to completely different. And the only thing that causes it is interacting with Jesus. And Ananias questions at first, which kind of makes sense. Like, are you really saying that Lord, or is that the pizza? Right? I'll go get the Tums. You can't mean that. Not that guy. Not that person. They're crazy. They want to kill me. The question that I get from that is, do you find yourself questioning God when he pushes you? God's pushing Ananias here. He's challenging him with this thing. Do you find yourself questioning? I don't think that's necessarily wrong. Ananias does it. Do you find yourself questioning? Do you find yourself in that position? Do you only want to hear the easy things from God? I'm pretty sure Ananias would have loved to hear, to hear from God, but hear a lot of different things other than go find Saul, that guy that wants to kill you. Go heal him, that guy. Yep. And you have no idea what he's going to do after that. He might kill you right after that, after you've healed him. It's possible. Pretty sure Ananias would have been really happy to hear from God for a lot of other reasons. Do you only want to hear the easy things from God? See, oftentimes we we can't see the end of God's solution, right? We know that. God has a solution and we don't understand what that is sometimes. And that's scary. The not knowing is scary. It requires the faith part of this thing. And answering God's call will cost you. And that's not, only, uh, that's not only okay, it's a good thing a lot of times. There's this cost involved with that. What did Ananias have to do? He had to give up, probably, he had to let go of those feelings. Like there was probably some, un, like, probably some, probably a little bit of anger. I could see anger being, anger towards Saul. Hate, maybe. Ananias has to give all those things up if if he's going to bring Saul in, which they do. And the disciples, they bring Saul in. There's a change that occurs in these disciples. And 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 it's, it's just taken for granted sometimes when we read it. But this is a huge shift in perspective. Now, I want to point out that forgiveness is not forgetting. That's important to note what Saul did to the church mattered. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, no, just, we'll just write that one off. That's no big deal. Yeah, he killed all those people. No big deal. Just move right along. God doesn't just forget about it. He said that back in 15, right? Ananias questions, and he said, you know, this guy, he was killing a lot of people, and God says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And we know from reading the rest of Acts, right? Like, He's how many shipwrecks were in last week's and this week's LTG readings, all of them took him like four years to get to Rome or something ridiculous like that. He's washed up on how many shores and threatened with being thrown overboard. The soldiers want to kill him. You know, how many times did he get stoned and should have died? Or like right after this, he immediately has people trying to kill him. And then he goes to Jerusalem and he has more people trying to kill him because he's done this flip-flop thing, and we really love people that flip-flop, right? That makes you really popular with people. Both the people that now really trust you immediately because you were just trying to kill them, and also the people that you just turned Benedict Arnold on, right? Makes you a lot of friends. We really like hypocrites. Sarcasm for those of you on the podcast. (sighs) God doesn't just forget this. Like there, there's, but it's not Ananias' job to remember this necessarily. It's Ananias' job to, to forgive and bring this in and be faithful and submit to what God is telling him to do, to submit to what Jesus is saying. <clears throat> God calls both Ananias and Saul to do something in this. So the question for us today is, what is God calling you to do? as you're reading this story, what is God calling you to do? Are you Saul who needs to stop doing things that are hurting the kingdom? You might be in that position today. And that's not just necessarily outward things. That can be inward things also. Like inward sin hurts the kingdom also, not just by like murdering people outside of the kingdom. Like, yeah, that's bad. But inward sin hurts the kingdom. You're like, how does that, how, how, does that work? Well, it hurts the kingdom because it separates you from the kingdom. And if you are separating yourself from the kingdom, if you are not playing your part in the, in God's kingdom, like you have a role in the body that only you can do, right? So if you're not doing that, then you're hurting the kingdom. So you might be Saul, might be in a place where you need a little repentance, what is God calling you to do? You might be Ananias. God might be asking you to invite somebody unlikely. That could happen. Or be willing to do the uncomfortable thing, maybe. Ananias had to do an uncomfortable thing. Maybe that's where you're at today. I don't know. I will point out without the faithfulness of Ananias, do we get Paul? the apostle? Or are we just left with Saul, the blind person who met Jesus, and yeah, he doesn't want to kill anybody anymore, but do we get the apostle Paul? I don't know. Do we get most of the New Testament without the faithfulness of Ananias? I don't know. Let's talk through some implications here as we wrestle with what is God calling us to do. First one is that encountering Christ will always bring change. Every single time. Every single time that you encounter, you experience Jesus as Lord, there will be change. Might be a small change. encounter Jesus. When you submit to Jesus as Lord, maybe he's calling you to a small change, like reading your Bible 15 minutes a day. A little small change, right? Might be a big change. You submit to Jesus as Lord, and he says, yeah, you're going to change careers. That plan that you had? No, 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 no. You're not going to do that. You're going to finish school, and then you're going to go into ministry, right? I don't know what that's about. I've never had those, Never. Not at all. Never had those words. God's like, no, you're going to go plant a church. Huh? I'll get the Tums. (laughs) Immediate response. Like, that's got to be the pizza. When you submit to Jesus as Lord, there's change. And it's not just like a one and done sort of thing. This is a continual. There's... There's continual change, there's growth, and you're not done changing. God's not done changing you until he puts you in the ground. When you submit to yourself, when you submit yourself to Jesus as Lord and align your life with him, then something's going to be changing in your life. Second implication is that if you aren't listening for God's instructions, then you won't hear them. This feels really like, well, duh. Of course that's right, Logan. Well, I mean, of course, if you're not listening, you're not gonna hear him. Well, okay, hang on here. I will put the caveat. If God wants to tell you something, he's going to get the message across. We see this in the story, not just from my experience of, yeah, God will eventually get the message through my thick skull, right? But we see this in the story. Do you want the small voice? Yes, Lord. Or do you want the spiritual two by four that knocks you on your knees and then you're blind and that's a whole deal, right? How in tune are you to hearing God's voice? If, if you wanna hear that small voice, you need to work on being in tune. See, if you were if you new to hearing God's voice, then you would start you, you would work on this and you would treat it like any sort of relationship, right? We know this, that if you are going to hear God's voice, you need to spend some time with him. You become familiar with what it sounds like when he's speaking. You get to know the things that he cares about. Probably looks like getting into his word and stuff, right? Spending some time worshiping. We don't, we don't just, like, I don't know if you guys know this, but we don't just get up here and sing songs on Sunday morning because we need to, like, buffer so that people can get here on time for the sermon. Like, that's, that's not the purpose of worship, uh, we don't, we don't do that just because, you know, Logan and Josh like playing music. Like there's a lot of other songs that I probably would enjoy playing more than worship songs, to be honest. Most of them by Alice in Chains, uh, probably not appropriate. Maybe a little Metallica, uh, not appropriate for worshiping God, maybe. Um, but we, we do that because we're speaking truths and we're, we're, We're doing this as a collective, communally, to say these truths out loud, to sing these truths out loud. And it doesn't matter if we sound good or bad. Like The purpose is that we're putting these out in the air around us. And if people are hearing those, whether that be here in service or out there, we're affirming that to each other, that these are true of God. This is who he is. This is what he says. This is what he says about you This is your relationship with him. That's why we we do worship. That's why we get together for church. To worship together. To hear God's word together. To say things together. To pray together. Because it builds up one another. It's not just for ourselves. We get to learn what's important for him. If you're not listening to God's instructions, then you won't hear them. There's a, another thing that Paul says in, in the, later in the book of Acts. It was in this last week's reading. Um, he's quoting Isaiah. And this passage out of Isaiah, <clears throat> he, he's, he's saying, don't, don't let your heart become dull to the voice of God. This passage out of Isaiah that Paul quotes in Acts 28, goes like this. It says, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but you'll never perceive. This is a, you can be, if you aren't listening, then you're not going to hear them. You might hear them, but you're not going to hear them, right? For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. With their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Don't let your heart become dull to the voice of God. If you're not listening for those instructions, then you're not going to hear them. Third implication is this. This is our discipleship kind of application, right? We've had one of those every week here. How does this apply to maybe me discipling somebody? It's this, that coming alongside a new Christian is messy and uncertain. I don't know if you guys have experienced this. It requires patience and faith. New Christians are messy. They say things that you're like, whoa, ease on up there. Not supposed to say that in church. Not even Logan says that in church. Easy, easy, (laughs) right? They do things they don't know. You don't know what you don't know, right? See, I don't know if you know this, but if you've been in the church for a while, then you have all of these habits and you have all of this like learned knowledge that you probably take for granted. I I could start saying the Lord's prayer and everybody else would just like join in, right? Or on Easter, what was it? The, the He is risen, and everybody, he is risen indeed, right? Like, if you've been a part of that church, a church that does that, you, you start to have these cultural norms, these things that you just pick up, right? Or we start to know the songs, right? You intro- Logan introduces a new song, and everyone's like, we don't know this one. Five weeks later, after we've done it a couple times, everyone's like, yeah, no, I love this song. This is great. Doesn't matter if the lyrics are wrong on the screen. Whoops, my bad. Doesn't matter if Logan's singing the wrong lyrics. We still know the song. It doesn't matter, right? That's not important anymore, right? New people don't know these, and it's scary. And it's important for us to remember that. I don't, I, I've been to uh, the 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 thing that I remember here is I, I was at a Catholic service one time. Um. I don't know if you've ever been to a Catholic or a high liturgy sort of service. And there's a lot of aerobic, like, sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, right? You can get out and you're like, I need some post-workout. I need some electrolytes. Can we do Gatorade for communion? No, no, you're not supposed to do communion at the Catholic Church. You're supposed to do that thing. Uh, But uh, it's cool. I really appreciate that sort of service. I find beauty in that. But I was there by myself, and I had nobody to give me cues. So it was like, it was like a delay. Like everybody does this, and Logan, and everybody does in Logan, and I'm trying to like, do they have hymnals? What? Is, everybody's doing these call and response things. It was very uncomfortable, and I stuck out like a sore thumb. Just hi, I'm the noob, right? It's good for us to remember that when we're discipling people because new people coming into the church, new people coming into the church feel like that. doesn't matter if it's Mission Ridge where we are so relaxed and roughly right. They still feel like that. And it's important for us to remember that. And it's important for us to come alongside them in that. That's our job. It was probably uncomfortable for Paul, for Saul, how many times have I screwed that up? I'm going to have to keep a count when I do the video. When Saul comes in, it's probably feels a little bit like a noob, right? He doesn't he's he's flailing and and it's kind of messy. Like they've gone a while and it was a little peaceful in the church for a while, right? Like after they hide Saul back off and wherever they said, I think they sent him back to Tarsus because he's booted out of Damascus. People want to kill him there. He goes to Jerusalem. People want to kill him there. And then they sh- they're like, okay, this guy is just creating problems. Let's send him to Tarsus. Somebody go disciple this boy, right? And then I think it makes mention that, yeah, and the church grew and it was peaceful and things calmed down a little bit there. If I remember right, you have to go check me. Saul was messy when he came into the church at the beginning. New Christians are messy, and coming alongside them is uncertain. It's chaos. But they're on fire for things, and it just requires patience and faith. So if we're going to disciple somebody new, that's important to remember. So as we continue to wrestle with maybe what God is calling you to do today, what God is calling you to do today, we're going to move into our time of communion. Communion. So spend some time just kind of thinking about that and asking God, where am I at today? Where do I need to submit to you as Lord and Savior and maybe experience a little bit of change? Maybe big, maybe small, who knows? Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come and join us for worship. Service times, location, and all kinds of other fun stuff can be found on our website, missionridge.church. You can connect with Mission Ridge Church through Facebook or Instagram. So give us a like or follow. If you would like to partner with us financially, You can give securely online at missionridge.church slash give. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.